I'm uh, Philip Terzian. I'm the literary editor of the Weekly Standard, uh, which is a certain way of saying that I am in charge of the books and arts section of our magazine. And this week, the lead story in my section, um, indeed the cover story of our magazine this week, is a splendid essay by my friend and colleague Andrew Ferguson. And it is about Ambrose Bierce. And I think part of the reason it's about Ambrose Bierce is that Ambrose Bierce, um, who many of you may know is the author of The Devil's Dictionary and other works, um, disappeared exactly 100 years ago this year. Um, it's perhaps a well-known story, but I might ask Andy to repeat it. Um, but the Library of America uh, produced a one of its omnibus volumes about Ambrose Bierce, um, I guess two years ago, which you're not reviewing here. You refer to it um, uh, somewhat uh, critically in your, your essay, and I'll, I'll ask you about that. But Ambrose Bierce is, was roughly a, a contemporary of Mark Twain's. He was uh, five or six years younger. He, he um, like Twain, he, I guess he made his reputation in post-Civil War San Francisco. Uh, he was a journalist and novelist. He even looks a little bit like Mark Twain. But um, can you tell us just a little bit about Ambrose Bierce as a writer and why he's not as well known as Mark Twain? Uh, well, that's a, that's a good question that I try and uh, answer in the piece. Um, I think he's, he deserves to be uh, much better known. He's partly a victim of his own journalism. He was a, a journalist um, first and foremost, uh, pretty much the beginning and the end of his life. Um, and as such, he produced many, many millions of words over the course of a very long and productive career. And uh, towards the end of his life, he decided that he was going to uh, collect as much of it as he could find. Um, and he ended up with 12 volumes, each 110, 120,000 words long, big, fat volumes, containing all kinds of stuff that should not have been between hardcovers. <laughs> it's just, it, just wasn't, it just wasn't enduring enough. It wasn't durable enough. A lot of it was just cast-off stuff from newspapers. But I think that hurt his reputation because... People would go through the collected works and see so much that was dross um, that they wouldn't, uh, they, they missed the gems that were that were underneath it. And I try and call attention to some of the, the gems in there. I mean, he, he was, I, he's best known today, as you say, for the Devil's Dictionary, which is a series of aphorisms, um, incredibly cynical. Uh, he defines uh, love, for example, is um, a fit of temporary insanity curable by marriage. <laughs> Um, he says democracy is uh, uh, three wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Um, things like that. They're, they're incredibly uh, clever and tightly written and um, really masterpieces of, the, of that kind of aphorism. Um, but I think that his real strength and his enduring uh, interest is in his, his uh, work on the Civil War. Both, both his essays and memoirs about the Civil War and short stories. Um, unlike Twain and most of the uh, men of letters of the late 19th century, he actually was a soldier in the Civil War. Right, right. In fact, um, I believe it's Edmund Wilson and a couple of his uh, Bierce's biographers point out the same thing, which is that 
of all the great literary men of his generation, he's the only one who actually fought. You know, Twain was in the Confederate Army for, I think, two weeks and then got out of Dodge as quick as possible and headed out to the to California. Um, uh, Henry James, I believe, was in uh, law school and um, William Dean Howells went to Venice. All of these really formidable figures in American literature made sure that they were somewhere else when the, when the firing started. So un, unlike um, most of our other wars, at least since the Civil War, there aren't any uh, substantial, there's, n there's not a substantial literary inheritance from it. Uh, and Beerus is pretty much the only major writer who was there, who saw it, and who spent a lot of creative energy trying to describe it. Well, the interesting thing, too, about Beerus to me is that um, one of my editor's prerogatives is writing titles, and I titled your essay Cynic's Progress, and a lot of his writing about the Civil War is cynical. I mean, he sees the folly of generals' behavior, he sees the the folly of uh, marches up the hill and marches down the hill and retreats and the mistakes that always happen. But on the other hand, he he sees qualities and virtues in in the suffering and bravery and courage of warfare. I mean, amidst the carnage, mm -hmm. it's a human uh, experience that he seemed to, to gain a lot from. Yes, I think that's right. He um, It was certainly something he never got over. Uh, and it depends on on what pieces of his that you're reading about the Civil War. There is a very heavy emphasis on the stupidity of his superiors, uh, which I think is a standard among uh, people in the trenches throughout uh, the history of warfare. And that cynicism that he has, I think, is also one of the reasons that he wasn't terribly well-liked when he was even alive, because he was writing in the 1870s, 80s, 90s, when a kind of sentimental gloss was being put over the Civil War, even by veterans of the war themselves, and there were still, you know, songs about mothers losing their children, very sentimental uh, songs, and statuary was being put up all across the country, and there were Grand Army of the Republic meetings where they would all get together and speechify. And uh, Bierce was having none of that. Uh, while seeing the awful, uh, or, or I should say the sort of commendable things that war brought out in, in men, uh, he was so overwhelmed by the terror and horror of the experience that he couldn't bring himself to be sentimental. Well, and he certainly couldn't romanticize it. I mean, I yeah, suppose right. in some ways his his voice is about American life in general is a reflection of that. I mean, he's right. distinctly unsentimental about America in the second half of the 19th century. He doesn't, I mean, he observes and and understands the development of the West and the rise of the great fortunes and the building of the railroad and all that, but he, he doesn't have any illusions about it. Right. Uh, he, was, he was himself a great believer in capitalism. He always thought that capitalism was the only kind of social arrangement and economic arrangement that could accommodate human striving and ambition. Um, but at the same time, he was not at all uh, starry-eyed the way some conservatives are about about the power of the market. Yes. And he's most famous as a journalist for going after the, um, the Gilded Age robber barons uh, that he knew out in California. He called them the railroads, the guys who <laughs> built the railroads and... Uh, of course, made tremendous contributions to American history, but he saw them a little too close up and saw that they were connivers and schemers. Just a authorial question. Did he actually sit down and write the Devil's Dictionary, or was it just gleaned from things he'd written? It was a, well, it was, 
you know, uh, you know how it is. You have scraps of paper everywhere, and and, right. and he had them accumulated over many years before he actually decided that he could make a, a book out of it. The book that he wanted to publish of the Devil's Dictionary is much, much longer than the one uh, that's actually usually on sale today, or that you would find on the internet. Because uh, again, he was indiscriminate in his appreciation for his own stuff, and right. the Devil's Dictionary, which I believe is twice or three times even as long as the one that we're familiar with just had a lot of stuff that wasn't it, it was I, I guess the weakness of it was that it was pure cynicism you know it was his cynicism distilled without the cleverness right. and the humor that could give it a little twist is there a, a, a an anthology of beer where would somebody start if they wanted to go online and read Ambrose well beers? there's a um, there's a terrific Ambrose beers website uh, run by uh, a man, I believe, named Don Swaim, S-W-A-I-M. It's donswaim.com. Um, and he really has some wonderful stuff about little uh, biographical essays. And um, there are beer maniacs in the world. Right. And uh, so people who've tried to reconstruct uh, uh, where Bierce lived and his travels. And, of course, especially people who are fascinated by the his mode of... of uh, absenting himself from <laughs> right. from America, right. as he did. Well, I guess, uh, despite its limitations, the Library of America collection, I suppose, would be a decent place yeah. to start. If you it's it's to good start. on, uh, yeah, it, it's got the, the Civil War stuff that I, that, I, that I rate very highly. It's also got a lot of stuff that I don't particularly right. think is great. Well, anyway, it's a delight to uh, talk to you about Ambrose Bierce, and I appreciate your doing so, and I hope our readers will uh, follow your lead. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andy Phil. Ferguson.